0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. So I have a confession this morning. Uh-oh. I love TV commercials. I know it's weird. I, I realize that some people pay extra money on their streaming service not to have commercials. But I just, I love commercials. I, I love the marketing aspect of it. I love uh, the, the psychology of it. Um, and I and I love the humor of it. So just to you know humor me a little bit here this morning, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a little quiz. All right, and I'll, I'll start with the more recent commercials and kind of work my way back. Okay, so so finish this one. All right, like a good neighbor. Is there? Okay, very good. See you guys watch commercials too. All right, those but those are memorable commercials, right? Um. How about this one? Okay, this one's going back a little bit further. But, hey, guess what day of the week it is? It's hump day! Yeah, there we go. Okay, very good. All right, so now this one's going to go way... You know, this is going to be a throwback, all right? So only people maybe over the age of 40, I don't know, might remember this one. All right, so there was a commercial that stole a Helen Reddy song... And it, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but it's something like this. It's like anticipation. It's making me wait. Do you remember what that's for? What, what? Ke- Heinz ketchup. There you go. There's okay. I feel good. There's a few people just as old as I am in here. That's great. Anticipation, and that honestly, that is what we're going to see this morning as we get into this passage so if you would join me in john chapter 5 in john chapter 5 we are looking at a story of anticipation have you have you ever like anticipated something for a very long time and just keep waiting for it to happen we're going to look at a story like that today uh while you're turning i just want to welcome those watching online uh, my name is Rick, I'm the campus pastor out of Bainbridge, and I'm also leading the team to launch a campus in Front Street, and uh, our Bainbridge campus and our Cincy campus have live preaching this morning, so they are not on the simulcast, um, but we're glad to have you online and, and especially glad to have you, if you're a guest here this morning for the first time, we're, we're glad that you're here with us. If you want to use the chair Bible, it's page 856, and those Bibles are there for yours uh, to take, uh, it's our gift to you. So please take advantage of that. So as we as we look at this passage, now we're just uh, we're we're almost done with our series. This is the next to the last message, and we've gone through and we've seen all these uh, different aspects about Jesus that revealed Himself through the different actions and miracles that He's done, and and today we're going to see one more. If you would join me at verse one. It says this afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for thirty eight years, and when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked. Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, said the sick man, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking an amazing an amazing story of a miracle of jesus just speaking to this lame man who had been who had been crippled for 38 years but yet just jesus heals him with a simple spoken word but do you notice anything weird as we're going through that with the the numbers the verse numbers do you know any, notice anything strange there If you're following along in in the New Living Translation or even some of the newer translations like the ESV or the NIV, you notice that there's no verse 4. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, let me me just explain that real, real quick. So some of the older translations that use transcripts, newer transcripts. So literally the Bible is copied over in Greek, the New Testament is copied over in Greek. Copied over, copied over. Right, we're going back in ancient times. But we've we've found like the the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and since then there's been archaeological finds that have found actually older transcripts, and the older transcripts do not have this verse in it. So we see that it's it's really it's it's a commentary that one of the transcribers transcribers added as they were copying over the scripture, to help us understand. So it's not, it's not necessarily a verse. That's why this translation leaves that verse out. But it does help us understand a little bit. Because when you get down to the, to the passage of verse 7, where he says, you know, well, I can't because there's no one to put me in the water. You're like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this helps explain. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now this is not just legendary. It's not just a rumor. It, like It's, it, it, it's spoken and it's de- described as something that literally happened from time to time. And that's why we have all these people... Uh, gathered around whether it 's the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed they 're there gathered, waiting for the the, the the angel to stir the water, and someone would get healed and so when you look at this story there 's a couple things that that kind of jump out As you you see the kind of an idea of what that might look like and and there 's a multitude of people there there 's right, there's a lot of people that are there waiting for this special moment of an angel coming and being able to heal somebody. But yet, there's, there's, a, there's some things that are, that are kind of nuanced in here to, to help us understand really kind of what, what, what's deeper happening here. See, Jesus says to this one man, this one crippled man, He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, listen, Jesus could have healed everyone there at that pool. He could have. But he spoke to this one man who had been crippled for 38 years. And he said to him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. You know, it kind of reminds me of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Right? Jesus spoke and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, if Jesus had not been specific, if he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, he had the power to bring everybody back out of the grave, right? I mean, it would have been like the walking dead, right? These All these people are coming out and wrapped up in... in, in in bandages, and, and but yet Jesus specifically called out Lazarus. And I think we see the same thing here, that, that Jesus spoke to this one crippled man. You see, Jesus wanted to highlight the fact that he could heal this man just by spoken word. He could heal a man that not was crippled just a few days ago or just had a a disease a a, a few weeks ago, but a man who had been crippled for 38 years. That he had the divine power to heal somebody that had been crippled for so long. And yet he could do it with just spoken word. Now, remember last week we looked at the story of, of a very wealthy, powerful man who sought out Jesus because of his reputation and he begged Jesus to heal his son. And did now did Jesus follow the man back to his house and lay hands on on the boy? No, like Jesus spoke the words. Jesus said he's healed and boom, he was healed from a distance. And it wasn't until later that the man found out that it was literally the very moment that Jesus spoke the words that his son regained his health. You see, these miracles are to demonstrate Jesus and his power, to demonstrate the fact that, that Jesus was in fact God in man. You see, Jesus was talking to him directly, and he's accomplishing his mission By by healing this one man. So that there's there's no question about his divine power. Let's keep reading. In verse 9 it says this. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. And the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. I mean it's almost comical to, to see the reaction of, of the Jewish leaders. They they look at this man and, and he's just been healed right? He's been crippled for 38 years, and Jesus has just healed him. You would think their first reaction was, congratulations, like, that's amazing. Look at you. Look at how you're walking. But no, no, their response is, hold a second. It's the Sabbath. You can't do work on the Sabbath. And then how they define work, right? You can't pick up your sleeping bag that's too much work. Like you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Like how how bizarre is that, right? But here, I think it leads us to the key point. This is the the key lesson of this passage, and we'll revisit this a couple times this morning. But it's simply this: follow God's direction despite man's objection. See. Jesus spoke to him, told him to to stand up to pick up his mat and walk, but man, the religious leaders they they didn't like that. they had some objections like you're doing too much work here's the thing we we talk about god's will, we talk about god's direction in our life and we could spend an entire series or at least an entire message on that, on that idea. And we have in the past. We talk about understanding God's will for our life, that, that we need to pray, we need to be in, in God's Word, we need to do Bible study, we, we need to look at the experiences that, that God gives us and, and the, gifted, the giftedness that, that He has for us. And sometimes we, we ask for input from fellow believers. But listen, there is a point where we shouldn't always listen to the crowds. In fact, one of the things that's really important in, in understanding God's will is the fact that it's never going to contradict Scripture. You know, there, I, I've seen these situations, I've had conversations with people that, that say, you know, like, well, I'm making this choice. And you go, well, hold a second, like, that doesn't align with God's God's Word. Yeah, but God's telling me to do this. Like, I'm convinced that God's speaking to me. Well, listen, God is not going to contradict Himself. He's already spoken to us through His Word, the Bible. He's not going to give you some kind of new revelation that contradicts what the Bible already says. And so, as we're determining God's will, and and, and we spend time in His Word, we'll find out that oftentimes what His Word tells us and what His Holy Spirit is working in us and, and driving us towards, it may contradict what the crowds are saying. It may contradict what, what the, the, the general consensus is. And I think sometimes we, we allow our, our, our American ideology of democracy, and everyone has a vote, we allow that to, to, uh, to, to seep into our thinking of how God works in our lives. But listen, it's not up for popular vote. If God gives you direction and it doesn't contradict God's word, then don't listen to the crowds. Don't listen to the masses. But listen, as we, we look at this... The really the overarching idea of this entire sermon series is what do we learn about Jesus? And you know what? This is this is only one of six times that we see that Jesus quote unquote broke the Sabbath law. And as you look at all six of them, you see that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. And for that matter, he's, he's trying to help the religious leaders to understand that the purpose of the law is to point people to God. And that man has distorted it. Man has, has twisted it, has added things to it. If you want to understand this better, like spend some time in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, where the Sermon on the Mount, where, where Jesus goes through and explains how Man has distorted the Old Testament law and subjected people to man-made ideas, man-made laws, and how they're using the law to hinder people from God rather than helping people to love God and helping people to to follow God and to to love others. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, in one of these six times that Jesus broke the Sabbath law, he had this confrontation with the Pharisees, he said this, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, he's not only establishing the fact that the, the law was designed to point us to God, it's not, it's not designed to beat us down and, and, and make us give up. But the fact that he, he exercises his authority and claims divinity. And so as we, as we look at this and we learn about Jesus, we learn about his, his desire to show people his power and strength. You know, it's really, it's, it comes down to honoring God and, and doing his will. And it's important for us to follow God's direction, despite man's objections. You know, there's a, a story of a lawyer, Dr. David Gibbs. He's he was the founder of the Christian Law Association. He's been extremely um, influential as far as the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund and and a lot of other. A lot of other Christian values that, that he's defended in court. But he tells a story about a time where he was in a small plane and the pilot passed out. And now if you if you want to hear the whole story and, and obviously he can tell it with much more drama and much more detail, I, I'd encourage you just go go check out YouTube. It's called Listen to the Voice. So type in Listen to the Voice, David Gibbs. You'll see this. this. is a great story. But he describes how that he and another lawyer are in this small plane in Alaska. And they're hardly even up in the air. They're just getting to altitude. And the pilot passes out. And now neither one of them, neither one of the lawyers had ever flown a plane before. And so they get on the microphone and they're just... They're they're asking for help. And there's other pilots in the area that can hear them. And then finally an air traffic controller responds. And the air traffic controller starts to ask him some questions. Have you ever flown? Do you understand what, what the different tools are? Do you understand what the yoke is? Do you understand? And he's saying, No, I I, I don't know any of this stuff. And the air traffic controller says this: He says, listen to my voice, and I will get you home. But if you don't listen to my voice, you're going to end up dead. And he, and he spoke to him over and over throughout, throughout the, the flight, told him what to do, told him where to turn, told, told him how to check his altitude. And he kept reminding him, listen to my voice. And there was even other pilots that that came on and and said, just trust Him. Like, we know that you're in a difficult situation. We know that's a lot of stress. In fact, you're going to be flying into a storm pretty soon. And they they encouraged him, "Don't, don't look at the storm. Don't pay attention to anything else. Listen to the voice. And I think that's exactly... Exactly what we need to learn from this story. Don't listen to the crowds around. Don't listen to the, the, to the common sense of, of the world. Listen to God's voice and follow it. To finish the passage, let's just look at verses 14 and 15. Because there's a little bit more to this story. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. He found the the lame man who was healed. He found him in the temple and he said, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. And then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, listen, we could speculate on on the healed man 's motivation, why did he go tell the the jewish leaders i don 't you know was he narking on jesus i don 't know, but really the more important thing I want you to see is this that Jesus says to him, Go and sin no more. go and sin no more that, that seems like such a a hard saying is Jesus saying to him that I expect you to live a perfect sinless life from now on? Like I've healed you, so so now be perfect? I think scripture is the best commentary on scripture. And as we look at other passages, we see an instance. There's one other instance where Jesus says this exact same thing. Go and sin no more in John chapter 8. When he's talking to the woman who is caught in adultery, and all the, all the men that were trying to, to charge her and, and trying to bring her to stoning, trying to kill her for her sin, as Jesus challenged them, they all walked away. And the reality is there was, there was a, someone else involved in it, right? Like you don't commit adultery all by yourself. But he wasn't being charged. And Jesus says, where have all your accusers gone? they're 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 all left. And then Jesus said to her go and sin no more. Now, when we look at scripture and we see like even the apostle Paul like he struggled with the old nature and the new nature, the the fact that, that his old man wanted to to commit sin but yet the holy spirit didn't want him to commit sin, right? We see that even a person like the Apostle Paul struggled with that so Jesus isn't talking about go and, be, and and be sinless never never commit sin he's he's talking about the fact that don't return to the sinful lifestyle you once had and in fact the implication is here that the man is crippled because of his sinful choices but even that even that is not a, a, a consistent thing through scripture because it, it, we look at the other passages, right? Some people associate disease and disability with, with sin, as if, as if it's a judgment. In this man's case, it, it seems like that's that's what's happened. But yet, in John chapter 9, you have a, a crippled person, and, and the disciples assume, they assume that somebody sinned. They ask the question, who sinned, his parents or him? And Jesus is like, no, listen, this is about bringing glory and honor to God. He says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Listen, Jesus was extending mercy, but he expects holy living. But like we sang at the beginning of of the service, Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. So where does that lead us? How how does this apply to me personally? How does it apply to you? Follow God's direction despite man's objection. You know, there's many things that we talk about that are universal ideas. We talk about the fact that, that we're supposed to love others, that we're supposed to serve like Jesus serves. We talk about the fact that we're supposed to become more and more like Jesus every day. But this, this is very specific. This is very personal. And the question is this. What? has God called you to do? What has God called me to do? What has God called you to do? You see, each one of us has been gifted. Each one of us has been designed to be a body of believers, to be a part of the church, to be a contributing factor to, to the body of Christ. Each one of us, every one of us, The question is, are you doing what God has called you to do? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Are you watching all the action from a distance? Are you coming up with excuses of why God can't use you? Are you saying, well, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done wrong. Or, or I'm not good enough, I'm not, God can't use me. Listen, God is saying to you the same thing he said to that lame man. Stand up, pick up, and walk. God expects you to respond to his mercy and to do something. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? People may be critical. They, they may say that, that it's foolish, that, that it can't be done. They might say, you can't do it. And you know what? God says the same thing. You can't do it, but I can. Amen? God can do it in you and through you. You just need to take that step of faith. And trust that, that God will do what he says he will do. Let me give you an illustration of a Brian that's done this this very thing. There's a young lady here at Brian that her name is Brandy. Many of you probably don't even know her. She's not not a church leader. She's not a connect group leader. But a few months ago, God clearly spoke to her. This wasn't something that she just wanted to do on a whim. It's very clear that God was speaking to her and said, you need to do this. And so she started this, this monthly worship gathering called NOW, Night of Worship. And she she started it because there seems to be a void in a lot of our churches of something to do for twenty somethings and thirty somethings. That age group just seems to kind of fall through the cracks. They we our, our churches do a lot for young people and kids all the way up through youth group, but then when they go away to college and or they just get married, there, there seems to be that gap, especially in a lot of churches. And and that. That age group needs community. They need to come together and, and, and share life together. And so God laid it on her heart. And just a few months ago, she started the process. She reached out to a couple friends, asked them what they thought about the idea. They prayed about it. Then they, then they started testing the waters. They put out a message on Facebook and just said, hey, who would be interested in this? and just in a matter of a couple months they got together 50 60 you know 20s and some 20s and 30s somethings together for worship and they've been doing this now for a couple months and it's growing and it's something that's filling a need it's something that God's using brandy to have an impact on our region there are churches from from Pennsylvania there are churches all around this area that that are being represented at this monthly gathering. And it might be 50, 60 now. It could be 100 next month. All because, yeah, amen. But it's all because Brandy was willing to listen to God's direction. You know, there's probably a voice in her head that said, who am I to to get something like this started? There might have even been people that, that were bold enough to say to her, like, you know, like, that's crazy. Like, let, let a church, you know, organize that. You don't need to do that. But she followed God's direction. What is God directing you? If you say, I don't know. Listen, spend some time in God's word. Seek out his face in prayer. Ask him to show you what it is. What is your role? What is your place? What has God designed you to do? You see, he healed that lame man who was waiting in anticipation for years to be healed. But then he told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Walk. God's saying to you today, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I just want to take a moment to to review the fact that a lot of what we're talking about today is, is for someone who has made that decision to be a Jesus follower. The fact is, If you have not made that decision, God is speaking to you too. But God's speaking to you to make a decision, to make that choice to follow Him. Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. We we all have sinned, we've all strayed from, from what God designed, we've all made mistakes. But yet, to have a relationship with God, the Creator, we we have to be perfect. We have to be holy because He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. And so He sent His Son, Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice to die on a cross, to shed His blood, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be restored in relationship to God. And not only did He defeat Sin, but he defeated death because three days later he rose. We serve a living Savior. So, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I would encourage you it's something you can do right now. If you're watching at home, if you're sitting here in a chair, you can make that decision to follow Jesus. But then, just like Jesus said, to this man, go and sin no more. Jesus wants to extend mercy to us, but he wants us to live a holy, righteous life. Does that mean we'll never make mistakes? No. No, that doesn't mean it. Does it mean that following Jesus is, is just a, a perfect life? There's never any problems, never any challenges? Absolutely not. Because honestly, that's the way we grow, is through difficulties and reliance on him. But scripture is very clear that once you become a Jesus follower and the Holy Spirit becomes part of your life, that you are gifted and you are a part. Every, every single person who is a Jesus follower is a part of the body of Christ, part of the church, and you have a role. But my question to you this morning is, what are you doing about it? Are you listening for God's direction? God wants you to stand up, to pick up and walk. Our gracious God, we come before you this morning. God, we just want to be used of you. God, we want to accomplish great and mighty things for you. God, help us to to hear your voice. Help us to be in your word. Help us to, to pray and, and and to come before you and to and to, tr- to truly lay our lives down as a living sacrifice for you, that you might use us. And God, we pray for those that, that are unsure of what their next step is. They're unsure how they can be useful in the kingdom of God. God, we just pray that you will speak to them and you will You will bring along fellow believers that will speak the truth from God's Word so that we all might be able to stand up and walk, accomplish great things for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.